The Legion had spent its first four years in a super shadow, playing backup to Superboy and Supergirl without getting its own chance in the spotlight. We hadn't been impressed by them so far, but maybe with their own dedicated backup feature, they'd start to shine a bit more. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Almost didn't remember this time, but you know what? <laughs> you, you keep saying every that. Time. You, you, every time. Every time. You made it work. It's a... Uh, it's a blank. It's a blank canvas every time, but I paint the same picture. Um, <laughs> it's just like Bob Ross. That's what I want on my tombstone. John Salito, just like Bob Ross. Um, oh, Joanne, stop! Don't don't take this from me. Uh, we're we're doing more Legion. This is probably the second to last book of Legion we're going to do, or batch of Legion that we're going to do before we move on to something. I think we're going to do the Atom because I had to travel and I couldn't take the Atom strange omnibus that I have with me because it's a tome <laughs> and i couldn't in good conscience put that in a suitcase um so we're gonna do the atom before that and i any of you uh alphabetically correct and inclined individuals can can at me later um but at or at um uh, no don't give me credit that wasn't good <laughs> no well that's better than these stories um <laughs> Except for the, you know what? I will give I will give the last one some credit because it is shocking. Um, did yes. not see that did not see that it was going there, and we'll we'll get to, we'll let's let's get down to it so that we can actually kind of discuss that. Yeah, I think I think we're going to diverge a little bit on this one. I, I'm curious. I believe so. Speaking of, uh, let's get down to, uh, to to business here because we've got um, one Superboy issue that the legion appears in and the rest are all adventure comics consecutive adventure comics where the legion has begun to be a regular uh appearing sort of uh i don't want to say like feature but a, feature. A, yeah it's they're a regular story within adventure comics sometimes without superboy or with any super family members so they're getting to have their own legs and do their own thing which i kind of appreciate john can i break your heart do it do you want to know what it replaced? Was it was it Congo Bill? No, that was, was a while back. Unfortunately, <laughs> it had to kick off the Bizarro stories. Boo! Oh, my kingdom for a Bizarro single issue per run. Uh, do, do, do you know what what is going to happen in a large number of issues? But there is going to be a uh, Bizarro Legion of Superheroes. Of course there is, and there should be, because Bizarro makes everything better. Hell yeah. Um, I miss Bizarro. Oh, wow. Yeah! Yeah! Uh, <laughs> except for the whole first appearance storyline. That could that could stand to be different. Uh, where he tried to get Superman to date himself, because it was weird. Um, I forgot about... I, I, I haven't. I, don't even, I haven't even forgotten about that. I genuinely don't remember it. <laughs> uh, where Bizarro kind of cuckolds himself with Superman... By getting Superman, by getting Lois Lane to date a perfect copy of him to make oh, him happy. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No, that's the thing that happens. Oh yeah. Um, <sighs> I gotta tell you, the worst things that happen in comics happen in Superman stories. I... Super family. Super family. Because between that and Comet the Super Horse, I really can't erase certain things from my mind. <laughs> I, hmm. You know what? I, I think... I, 
I think it is worth saying that Superman stories, uh, we, we have talked about how there, there are what I think of as like Silver Age stories and Electrum Age stories that are kind of in between. And then there's the like Bronze Age that we're really, we're genuinely starting to get into like the Bronze Age in some comics, but it is arriving mm-hmm. in different ways uh, and are involving or arriving at different times. The, uh, the future is here unevenly. But this super family stories, I think maybe because the challenges are have to be so different, they can't just be something to punch, uh, or it's just the writing style of Siegel and uh, Weisinger. I don't know. But yes, 100%, the super family line, and I would say also Batman to a pretty decent degree, do wind up being this what we associate with the Silver Age of just weird. And yeah. I'm I'm gonna say I think these stories mostly <clears throat> strike a decent balance of being weird and the word I would use is zany, uh, as compared to just being stupid weird. Yeah, I'll go with zany. Zany zany seems appropriate. Speaking of, we're gonna go to Superboy number ninety eight, July nineteen sixty two, Ultra Boy is an individual who appears in Smallville with uh, his, let's say, chaperone named Marla, which is an older gentleman. And Ultra Boy is dead set on finding the secret identity of Superboy in the past because Ultra Boy is from the future. And uh, he believes that Superboy is Pete Ross. Now, for those of you who don't know, because we don't really cover a lot of Superboy comics, unless they show up within our coverage from other things, Pete Ross is... Superboy's best friend in Smallville. So Pete Ross and Lana Lang are to Superboy as Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lang are to Superman. They are just the two friends that he has at the time. Pete Ross is just a nice kid who works at the Kent family store alongside Clark. Um, And Ultra Boy is convinced that Pete Ross is Superboy and is trying to go through any lengths to try and prove this by putting him through some shenanigans or putting him in positions where he might force Pete to show his powers. Ultra Boy has a lot of Superman-esque powers, Ultra Vision or Penetra Vision, which I, they're just, they are just trying with so many words and just, I'm really glad we've gone past this phase in comics where we are trying to name everything something unique if the character has similar vision or similar power sets where we're just like, no, we're going to call it one thing because it's all the same power. You don't need Mm -hmm. a specifically branded version of it for you because you're all part of the same universe as opposed to back at this point in comics where someone could just be reading Superman. So reading another character who has similar powers in their own story could be a thing that they would only encounter if they weren't reading Superman stories because, again, we are not amalgamating the universe. So we have to have unique names for powers because, again, I could just be reading Martian Manhunter and Martian Manhunter has the same friggin' powers as Superman, but he's got, like, nuclear vision or whatever and it's not x-ray vision or atomic vision or what... and it's just... Eh, I hate it. I just don't like it. I'm glad we're out of this era. Yeah. We we are in an era of systematized things. Branding. It's branding. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, you're right. It's, it's not just branding. Kleenex. It's Kleenex. Yeah, it's just branding. <laughs> Superman has X-ray vision. Ultra Boy has Penetra vision. It is literally just branding to differentiate the two when they are the exact same power. They're just done different ways. Regardless. 
Superboy eventually figures out that somebody is trying to put Pete in dangerous situations and saves him and eventually confronts Ultra Boy and we find out, oh surprise surprise, Ultra Boy is actually a member of the Legion of Superheroes. His task to join the Legion, his recruitment task, you know how in previous uh, stories the, the member of the Legion has to do something uh, spectacular. Um, his previous task was to figure out Superboy's secret identity, which I feel like that's the previous tasks had always had to be something cool to help other people, some super yeah. heroic deed. This is just super information gathering in the past. I don't really feel like this is a particularly heroic thing to do, and I'm not on board with how this is supposed to be, like, a valid thing for him to do. Marla happens to be an old, like, uh, alumnus of the Legion of Superheroes as well, and he's just here to make sure that, I guess, Ultra Boy doesn't cheat. It's stupid. But I, this is one of those stories that, you know, Matt and I talk about all the time, where the twist is that we don't know what's going on, and we are just watching stuff happen for a reason we don't know yet and it's revealed in either the last page or the last two pages for the sake of some sort of twist ending this is the worst version of hitchcockian suspense in the sense of hitchcock talked about suspense as being the audience knowing there's a bomb under the table and the characters don't so the characters are going to go about their business all the while the audience is going to see the timer for the bomb ticking down the suspense is whether or not they're going to figure that out and they're going to do something about it. This is, the audience knows something that the other characters don't, but the audience is also confused. They don't have as much information. They are confused by this, by this new information that they have because it has no context. That's it. Yes. And so... I understand the idea that they're trying to use in the sense that there's like, I guess in the bomb instances, you could have the two characters talking about like, hey, they say there's a mad bomber on the loose and he's been targeting police stations. The two characters happen to be cops. There's a bomb under the table. Oh my God. When are they going to figure out that they're the next people that are going to be blown up? That's the suspense. In this instance, it's like, Ultra Boy is here from the past or here from the future trying to figure out who Superboy is. Then we later find out there's a piece of information we didn't have to begin with, so we didn't actually have the full story, so the suspense is actually not valid because there are no stakes here. Yes. It is the perceived idea that there are that there is a threat when really there isn't, so the tension is pulled out from underneath you and a kind of, haha, you thought there was trouble, but really there isn't. And I guess the intention is to be like, see, isn't everything okay? When really it's like, why did you put me through that? It's, it's so frustrating to see so many writers do it this way. It's weird because for me, I'm not coming down as hard on it as I should because all of that is absolutely true. It also, they're giving us all of the information except for the context. That bit was absolutely the right way to put it. Because we we know from very early on, okay, he is he is Ultra Boy, whoever that is. Uh, he is they, uh, he is learning things, and Superboy is learning things. Like it is a little bit cat and mouseish, a little bit spy versus spy. But yes, you're absolutely right that for all that it is interesting and engaging, and a little bit of a sense of dramatic irony for us to know. 
oh, there's this going back and forth, and we know these things about the characters that they're learning about each other, but but that doesn't change the underlying fact that they do still pull that explanatory twist. Uh, and you're one hundred percent correct that it is there. There are no stakes. This is the. It is worth noting that I think we called this out. Uh, this is the last of the non like the last story of the Legion of Superheroes before it is okay. It's a consistent backup feature. So it's it's introductory. Like it introduces Ultra Boy. It introduces Marla. But none of that. A that just kind of means that Act 3 is just, like, introductions as compared to an actual, like, oh, resolution. And B, like, the pace, the the time is weirdly used in part because there is a decent amount of screen time for Marla who doesn't show up for a long time after this and isn't in any of the comics that we re- read today uh, after this. And I looked around and the... I think he may have been like a character who got just nothing was used uh, with him for a while. And then someone was like, wait, okay, now we're expanding on these characters in like what, 77 or something. And then he gets an actual like role as the like senior advisor to the team or something. But there, this, the entire third act is kind of pointless because there are the no stakes because of this twist reveal and the things that it's revealing don't always pay off to something. Only Ultra Boy does. It's very strange. The way to do this to actually give suspense is to never have Ultra Boy and Marla speak. So that the reader begins to question their motives. And the buildup of suspense is in the reader's mind off of their own imagination of what sinister thing these people can be doing. Instead of portraying them as sinister and then pulling the punch and saying just kidding they're good the relief the reader would feel would come more readily and more honestly if they were genuinely mistaken instead of misled i agree but there's a the piece the the perspective piece that's going through my brain is it almost feels like this story isn't written to make us suspenseful, it's almost like that's bolted on. It's like the the reason that you should care about this story is, oh, cool, new league, mem- no legion member, and new legion adjunct, and like that's supposed to carry the story. That's, but it doesn't. That that's that, that's a it's a trailer. Yeah, the payoff is supposed to be that these are legionnaires, and that unfortunately at this time is not worth anything. Um, especially because in the next story, Adventure Comics number 300, September 1962, we come to another situation that is another carryover from the Superboy universe, where Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes fight a robot with a lead mask, who is actually an android made by Lex Luthor to look exactly like old Lex Luthor, that fights them in the future. Um, however, the uh, way to get past this is from Mon-El. Monel, you'll recall from our previous episode, is in the Phantom Zone due to lead poisoning. Um, the Legion develops a small serum or pill or medicine that allows him to come out of the Phantom Zone and not be poisoned by lead, not die from it, and um, for a short period of time. And he helps them defeat this uh, android Luthor. And again, it is the 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 reveal there for this villain is it's Luthor, which isn't really that big of a revelation. 
like the big suspense of this is supposed to be it was Luthor all along and it's like when is it not when is it not him and they are trying so hard to come up with surprises that just don't land the the final issue that we cover has a surprise that I did not see coming purely because I didn't think they had the guts to do it <laughs> so we're going to get to that yep um but that's the end of the adventure comics number 300 of course Monel has to go back to the phantom zone because the temporary uh, cure wears off and he returns later in another story that we'll talk about in a bit adventure comics number 301 october 1962 we have the actual a full story just on the origin of bouncing boy which i actually really liked <laughs> having a story on them showing their personality and their character and how they got their powers and the reason I made that noise there is it is worth noting that the first half is the framing device of other people like uh, trying out and being rejected because they're faking having yeah. powers. But the story has a framing lead in that is ha the same length as the actual story, but it, it, it is still fundamentally about the legion of superheroes only though so it absolutely still qualifies there it's just still another it's another instance of really weird like storytelling oh, structure yeah. this, there's abs this is not the way i would have done it and we don't really <laughs> get anything from the people trying to fake their way into the legion other yeah. than it's it's cool to be in the legion so, like other other than that piece of information which is really more like world building we don't really get anything from that entire story. Yep. I do appreciate that the story about Bouncing Boy is that he is like an errand boy for a scientist who gave him a uh, super plastic fluid. And he gets distracted by going to what is effectively a wrestling match between robots. And while he's watching the match, he drinks the fluid by accident, thinking that it's the drink that he bought. And it makes him uh, elastic so that he can bounce and use his powers. He's at first rejected by the Legion of Superheroes because they're like, we, like, look, your power is impressive, but we don't see how we could use this. And then he ends up stopping a thief who was countering all the different members of the Legion of Superheroes. And they're like, you know what? We apologize. This is really cool. And they bring him in. And, and this um, parable is used to um, embolden the people who are trying out for the Legion to believe that they too can join even if they don't think their powers are as cool as like Sunboy or Lightning Lads or whatever and I thought that was kind of neat and it was one of the better stories in this group even if it was still weirdly framed um, Adventure Comics number 302 November 1962 Sunboy loses his powers um, so Sunboy himself was, uh, you know, bathed in the radiation of a fire creature, and that is what gave him the ability to be super uh, illumination, or to have super illumination and, like, blast fire. Um, he loses his powers after a, like, statue ceremony in his honor, which is kind of funny, but, like, also sort of sweet. Um, and he can't illuminate himself, and he can't shoot heat and they try a number of different techniques to try and fix this. And what ends up being the solution is ba basically bathing him in the radiation from a natural creature again that get, that kind of jump starts his powers. Um, and he's able to stop a crook that he put away at one point um, who is like taunting him after he breaks out of jail. Like, hi, ah, you don't have your powers. You can't get me. Um, and some boy gets him and, and reigns him in again. 
the trick slash twist in this issue is so purposeless um, because he tries to get um, Superboy and one other character to um, hit him with heat vision to be like, oh, well, maybe their powers can jumpstart me. And it doesn't work. And we find out later when he's like, yes, I had to, you know, get bathed by an organic radiation. And they're like, well, why didn't it work when Superboy and the other guy did it? And he's like, ah, because those were actually robots. Because <laughs> because Superboy's in the past giving Pete Ross a birthday. And he sent a Superboy robot to the future to help deal with his problem. And he didn't know what the problem was. And that's why it didn't work. Because it was manufactured as man-made synthetic radiation. I don't know. It was stupid. I... <laughs> I came up with a word because it is purely for the so I think I think what happened is that they they came up with the cover and then they wrote the story and in the course of writing the story they were like but this bit doesn't make sense with the outcome that we've decided oh well here's an explanation some it, it feels like that kind of thing yeah where They're right marvel method and they and they fucked up something like that uh, <laughs> and the thing that went through my brain was ret pop because it's it is retroactive it, it isn't i think of a retcon as being intentionally like oh this impacts the story this doesn't impact the story it just papers over a plot hole it it is so yeah. retroactive purpose of plot i agree this is just for the sake of it's the sake of doing it yeah um, Adventure Comics number 303 December 1962 members of the Legion of Superheroes get injured during one of their uh, missions um, and during their recuperation some microscopic surgery is done that allows them to be okay without actually being you know cut and stuff fourth and, dimensional uh, yeah welcome to know. the future <laughs> um, but it's they, they, they get this microscopic surgery and then later um, things start to happen where they try to go on missions and everything either goes wrong on the mission or the enemies are like uniquely prepared for them and can counter them in any sort of way and they believe that someone is basically been a, like a rat and a double agent on the legion and they believe it is the most recent guy matter eater lad uh, matter eater lad can you guessed it eat matter he can eat anything and digest anything um so his he's his recent induction makes him suspect and they believe that you know that brainiac 5 effectively kind of uh is also worried that maybe he's the the rat he doesn't know it because he's also you know a descendant from brainiac himself and maybe he has some evil tendencies within him <laughs> and they find out that the surgeon who did the surgery on them the thing that he put inside the two legionnaires um like the tiny little pill that would like make them healthy again effectively was just a microscopic dude in a little capsule that was listening in on all their conversations and then relaying to him the surgeon where they were going to go and how they were going to deal with things so the surgeon could commit crimes and get away with them once they figure this out by um brainiac 5 figures it out makes matter eater lad pretend to be the rat he leaves and they catch the bad guys and they they catch them in their lie <laughs> they like regrow the tiny little spy and they beat him up which i thought was very funny um but also this is such a weird story uh, but we see so many different members of the legion doing different powers i think my favorite part was chameleon boy and um uh 
one of the other legion legionnaires doing a uh, like we're we'll pretend we're a couple on a honeymoon oh, yeah. and chameleon boy is busting the other guy's chops going like don't kiss me or anything and he's like shut up man and he's like oh don't don't fall in love with me now that i'm a beautiful woman and he's like shut up shut up man like, it's like it's really funny <laughs> i just liked this because it was like ah thank god some some fun where you guys get to like be yourselves and not be hung up in the superboy drama i was like yeah. okay I'll, I'll i'll accept this one as a fun diversion it may not be like expertly written but at least it's like silly and there's some characterization that like chameleon boy has a sense of humor about turning mm-hmm. into people and, and i was like and That's you good. hope that sticks you hope this is actual characterization yeah. instead of like writing within a story and oh this is just the the thing and it'll change next time but i right. you hope it's characterization the, yeah i mean yeah, and it was it was uh, Chameleon Boy and Cosmic Boy. Okay, and I kind of, and I kind of like the idea that Cosmic Boy is like the like stiff stiff pencil pusher sort of like by the book guy, and Chameleon Boy is like giving him a hard time. And I was like, ah, oh, yes, a good odd couple story. Yeah. Uh, this is good. Early Beast Boy. Yeah, very early Beast Boy uh, sort of thing, and also like the the inner struggle for um, Brainiac Five of like yeah having the legacy of being brainiac's descendant i also liked as a thing of like oh okay this is good to have his like his angst be being a descendant of a villain mm-hmm. this is good this is a fun little callback that also still ties it to superman stories but also now is showing like we have moved forward and these people can be have their own identity i thought that was nice yeah i i will say for me for me the cool thing of uh them doing all the different mini missions Going through the planet's core as a shortcut. Yes. <laughs> All right, we're we're gonna the, the things are getting transported, and it just apparently the way that some people commute or travel is diggers that go through the Earth's core. It's like, and you take your pills that you freeze so that you don't burn to death while doing it. Okay, you know what? <laughs> Fair enough. You know, and I'll let that slide when one of these guys can just bounce. Uh... Yeah, I, I like that. It was just stupid and entertaining. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. Uh, all right, the last story that we're going to cover is Adventure Comics number 304, January 1963. Okay, this one's a little complex, but here we go. Um, the story starts out with the Legion doing their sometime frequent uh, vote of who's going to be like the chairman of the Legion. Uh, much like the Justice League, they have one person who kind of leads at this point. As we have seen, it has usually been Cosmic Boy. Now they're like, hey, um, everybody gets to vote. Um, on who needs to be the, the leader of the Legion of Superheroes. It's time to vote. Saturn Girl gets there late after seeing a mysterious little spacecraft from a different planet. And she's like, I recognize that. And then she goes back into um, the Legion offices. And she uses her powers, her telepathic powers, to get everyone to vote for her. She votes for herself. And therefore she is the winner. And everybody's like, that was weird. We, we, all, we all know that like she manipulated us right and they're like yeah there's, that's very strange she then asks them to build her a medallion out of like special material and then build everybody else these medallions out of this special material and the and the material allows her to copy and then store their powers so now she's telekinetic and she can shapeshift and multiply herself and shoot lightning and radiate like the sun and bounce and that and that and that Every time she outdoes the person whose power she's copying, she basically puts them on probation and says, you can't use your powers anymore for a month. And then the planet is under the under attack 
and she says, cool, I'll go deal with this now with everybody's powers. For some reason, Lightning Lad says, I'm going to stop her and help her out. And he goes with her to stop her from basically getting killed while being a one-woman army. And in the process of helping her defeat this uh, threat, Lightning Lad is fatally and mortally injured. While he is dying, um, apropos of comics, he begins to explain why he did what he did, which was disobey her orders of being grounded and using his powers. And he says, Mon-El saw you see the spaceship before you came into the, the voting this morning. Uh, he saw you see the spaceship from this morning. And he saw what the letter said from the spaceship, which was that this other planet had basically calculated that one of the Legionnaires was going to die if we took on this threat that was coming to the planet. And then you took all of our powers so that you could be the most powerful Legionnaire and you could save us all from the fate of dying by dying yourself. And I didn't think that was cool, so I went to help you. And Monel wasn't able to tell me until you flew off into space on your own. Because plot. And then Lightning Lad dies. <laughs> like, straight up dies. In Saturn Girl's arms. And there's like funerals and memorials and a wake and it ends with like lighting lads dead like one of the last panels in this story is all of the legionnaires standing over his body in like a tomb <laughs> and it's it's a cool tomb because they've got like tesla coils like zapping over him like and that you know what it is it's the sleeping beauty uh glass casket except it's electricity yeah um and it's it's insane and they're like, the end of Lightning Lad. And I was like, holy shit, did you guys just kill a teenager? <laughs> and that was where we stopped reading. And I genuinely was like, I need to know what happens. Which I think might be the first time with Legion of Superhero stories that I was like, I gotta know what happens next. Um, and I love that they ended on that weird sort of like sad cliffhanger. Um, so that's the end of our coverage. We've We've gone over the things that are the most heinous <laughs> from this I think I will say some of these are better than we have seen in the past some of these are getting better and I think it's because their disassociation from the Superman stories mm -hmm. is allowing them room to breathe because they don't have to have some shoehorned plots and panels that require Superman to be there that forces the plot and the pages to go in some weird direction that fucks with the plot and pacing there's These also a more literal, uh, or closer to literal, uh, room to breathe. These are longer stories now, because it's, yes. it's uh, two stories per issue now, and so we've got 12 pages. Yes. So these are better. Um, are they great comics? No. I mean, like these aren't my favorite comics we've read. These aren't doing anything groundbreaking, but they are better than they used to be without being tethered down by the Super Family Association. Mm-hmm. I'm in full agreement on that. Uh, I I am looking forward to these characters getting more developed or getting developed. Like, let's not even say there's much development right now. But one good way to kickstart uh, a, a characterization is to have something like traumatic that will continue to be like. My understanding is that the the death of Lightning Lad is going to hang over things for a little while and. Hopefully. Cool. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I, I don't remember if... I've got the last panel up, and it's... I mean, it's already, like, 
is making it very clear that this is something that is relatively temporary. Uh, the, yeah. the line is, or is it possible that the super science of the 30th century can restore his life? Question mark. See forthcoming issues, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's not right away by any means. So, cool. <laughs> I'm kind of disappointed they did, they did that, like, could this be reversed? Because it's very much like, guys... Were you worried that people were going to be so pissed off if you killed him that they would, like, get mad at you and they wouldn't let the story progress in the natural way if you had not said, like, don't worry, it'll be fine? Like, <laughs> I mean, to to their credit, they apparently still got letters that they had to clarify uh, in later issues. Uh, but e- even with this announcement. But yes, I... I'm on the fence because I expectations for me like setting expectations in your writing in your create in your creations is very important to me uh, because I think that changes the dynamic of things. Just things like knowing you have five minutes left in a movie, I think yeah. that's important because it let it it lets me calibrate my sense of oh is this the big third act twist or something else how seriously should i take this etc so i think i i kind of like that as a grounding but in terms of individual issue storytelling god yeah if they had the guts to just not have that that would (laughs) that would be a lot (laughs) yeah especially for the 60s um yeah Yeah. (laughs) boy adding from from a thing worth noting the the person who kickstarted all of this in the 30s this is Siegel writing uh i think all of these yeah i believe you're correct there is one thing worth noting though that makes me sad on the one hand it's cool that here are stories by Siegel that are that we are enjoying more than the stuff that was being written earlier i am glad of that it is still wildly different and frankly incomparable to the stuff that he did with golden age superman uh, in, when we were first starting to read him. But uh, it is cool to see Legion of Superhero stuff getting better. On the other hand, he's also the one who wrote that one story of Supergirl. Hmm. So I'm not going to give him too much credit. He's no Gardner Fox. <laughs> God, I, I was thinking about that. It's like Gardner Fox just built and built and built. And he, he had the uh, <laughs> he had a little bit of a face turn for us. <laughs> Yeah, Gardner Fox, while having his own foibles and things that he does that we don't like, gets better mm-hmm. and is consistent. Yes. Whereas everyone else is trying so many different things that you get. Gardner Fox is a consistent batting average. Yeah. And that's what I like about him is that his story, like him like him and John Broom, never disappoint. And if they do disappoint, it's because they're, the story is not as good as the other good stories. Mm-hmm. It's less good. But even their less good stories are better than any of these Siegel stories or, you know, things like that. Even, yeah. Unfortunately, even better than Bill Finger. Yeah. You know, and so you, you have these moments where you're like, ah, these suck. Comparatively... After 30 years, these are better than Golden Age stories. Are they the peak pinnacle of literature? No. Are they still trying to figure out this medium? Yeah. 
And it's really strange, again, to be almost a hundred years removed from the origin of this art form and see how far it's come in that time. Yeah. And to still be a genuine part of it in a sense of historian sense of just being like, wow, look how far we've come. And in 30 years, I think we take for granted the progress that these people have had in this form of storytelling versus just because it's progress doesn't mean it's good. And we run into that, I think, sometimes because we've seen better writers of this time period or better artists utilizing the medium like uh, Infantino. Oh, yeah. Um, Doesn't even compare. I had one panel I really liked from this. (laughs) Yeah, it's like Infantino and Kirby are still better, not artistically, but using the medium to its fullest to tell a story. And there's a difference between, like, I don't think Jack Kirby's art is particularly beautiful. It's not, It's aesthetically, to me, it doesn't, like, ah, yes, blocky faces and really big bodies is doing it for me. I think Kirby understood the medium much like Will Eisner did. I think Will Eisner was a better artist than Kirby. But they are both masters of using the medium to tell a story in a way that allowed visuals to help tell the story along with words. Whereas these rely heavily on a narrator to explain to you what's going on because the picture cannot convey the story well enough to you. And I think Infantino doesn't have that problem either. Infantino is able to show you the Flash is here, and then he's here, and then he's here, and then he's here. Which gives you the impression that the Flash is moving very quickly over a, over a short period of time. And he's thinking very quickly as well while he's trying to accomplish his goal. Instead of the narrator going, the Flash moving at the speed of light, thinks to himself, X. We don't need that because visually we can see it. And we are struggling because we are not seeing creators jump on that level of storytelling that that uh style of artistic narration and artistic storytelling and i think it's because we know it can be done because we're seeing it done at the exact same time the future is here unevenly there is so much difference between this and green lantern stuff which correct me if i'm wrong uh green lantern 59 is when that started or is that 60? About 5960. 5960, yeah. yeah. And just does not even compare. Here it is three years later on one of the major books, and the art just does not compare. And that's the thing, too, is to remember is these are running parallel to Flash, Green Lantern, Challengers of the Unknown, and a number of other stories. Even, even Gardner Fox's Justice League. This is running at the exact same time. And it's this quality. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's like watching a bunch of movies and being like, well, you know, we've got The Godfather being made and then someone made Ernest Goes to Camp. There is something there to be said about, wow, your contemporaries and your peers are doing a lot more than you are. You're te- you're, you are here to tell a story. You are not telling a story. You're here to you're here to accomplish something versus here here to take us on a journey. I get I get the impression Siegel's clocking into work telling the story just because that's what he's got to do. Versus like, all right, what can not not to say that like you know Kirby or Infantino were sitting down with their respective writers going like, all right, 
paint me a word picture. You know, it's like I'm sure they were all clocking and doing their job, but there's a difference between how some of these people are going about doing it. It's very obvious. I, I would actually be fascinated to lo- know the labor history behind this because it, it is worth, A, it's worth noting that it's not that they're trying and failing. It's it's not that there's a difference in like execution level. It's that they're not trying to do the same things. We yeah. don't have any kind of d- dynamic or interesting panel layouts here, whereas on uh, Flash and Green Lantern, we absolutely do. And that's not... You can do that and do it poorly, but try. I genuinely don't know if it's a like time crunch thing where there just isn't enough time to get everything done. Uh, I don't... Like, Carmine Infantino isn't a kid at this point. I think he's, like, 37 at this point. But maybe he just... Maybe he had more energy. And maybe he was even single or didn't have kids. Because if you're doing freelance work paid by, paid by the page, that might literally be just the difference between good enough and I get to spend time with my kids or go the extra mile and don't get paid anymore. I genuinely don't know. Uh, it could also just be one of those things of, like, either you got it or you don't. It could be. It you know, like, be. it's just one of those, like, they don't think the same way. Because, yeah, I, I guess, think there's yeah. a difference between trying to do it and doing it poorly and not doing it at all because you're doing something else entirely. Mm-hmm. The These stories read like the artist is getting the writer's script and just drawing what's on the script versus mm-hmm. an Infantino Flash issue feels like Okay, so Flash turns around and he sees a mountain of ice. How big is the mountain? Can I show Flash really tiny to show you how big the mountain is? Because you just you could have just as easily had Flash in the foreground on a hill pointing off to a mountain in the distance that was small because of perspective. Instead, he drew the big fuck-off mountain of ice and tiny Flash to show scale. And then that pa- that panel is also large enough that you can have dialogue on it from the tiny flash. Mm-hmm. So it's like, not only am I getting a sense of scale and wonder here, and it's an artistic picture, but I'm also getting information delivered to me at the same time. Instead of having flat the back of Flash in the foreground pointing, going like, boy, that's a big mountain. And the narrator going, the Flash has turned to find a mountain of ice. And you see that smaller mountain drawn in the in the background in a smaller panel. You could have done that as a single portrait panel. Instead, it's a panel across the width of the page. And I feel like that is one of those things of, like, Infantino is taking artistic privilege and license to show something else instead of just the writer going, and then there's a mountain of ice. This is my perspective as a comics writer, knowing that sometimes that's how that works. I have very often written something in a written something on a page and I can tell when my artist is right is drawing exactly what I wrote or looking at what I wrote and seeing how they can draw something that conveys that a little differently. I can tell the difference, not just because sometimes it's like that's not what I wrote, which is perfectly fine. <laughs> sometimes it's better than what I wrote and I am very grateful for that. Because sometimes what I write isn't that great. But there is a difference between drawing rote and adding your own style to it. And Infantino has style. Save for faces and certain idiosyncrasies of style, I can't tell you which artist this is. 
on Legion. Because mm-hmm. he draws exactly the same as the guy who draws Manhunter, as the guy who draws Aquaman, as the guy who drawed uh who drew Green Arrow, and the guy who draws Batman. Yep. It's they're all the John same Ford artist thing. to me. I have no idea who that is, and will yeah. never notice. <laughs> right. And it's not because he's a bad artist. These are not bad looking characters. This is not bad art. But it is not remarkable. It's what if house style wasn't stylish. Exactly. I'm not going to sit here and say that this artist is a bad artist. Absolutely not. He's not. He just isn't a bad artist. He's not doing anything exciting, though. Yes. To your point, we don't know if he didn't have the ability to because of time crunch. We don't know how many other books he's working on. We don't know if the writer was, you know, if Siegel was a pain in the ass. And was like, no, draw exactly what I write. Don't don't question me. I'm the guy who made Superman. Or if the editor was like, be slavish to the writer's script. Or timeline crunch. Or whatever. We don't know any of that. But the consistency at which the art does not thrill or inspire, to me, suggests that it's probably just how this guy drew. The other thing that comes to mind, uh, you called out at one point lettering and narrative boxes... And just, I wonder to what degree having the predictability of like a six panel layout, maybe if you don't have good communication between the writer and the artist and the editor of, oh, how much, what what are we going to be trying to do in each of these? What needs to fit in each of these? Maybe that predictability works if you have a bad creative process, but then let's get on the editor's case. I'm assume, I think it's Weisinger again. Uh, and just work on your process to make better creative yeah. stuff. And I, I genuinely wonder to what degree the new way has been identified as good. Or even sure. not just good, impactful. Because we mm. know, like, Flash and uh, Green Lantern, they sold solidly. But it yeah. wasn't like they were dethroning the comics that were doing this exact style of thing that is the old way. And I I genuinely wonder what what is going to change so that people say, oh no, like Infantino's way is the way of the future. It's fascinating to think about. I don't know. Yeah. Other than other than the next generation coming up and being like, I want to do that, and I just do that instead of responding to market pressures. <laughs> right. Or artists, you know, like like Fox being like, I've been around for 30 years. What haven't I done? And Fox doing, and Fox doing like, what if we did this? I've done this for 30 years. What if I did this? And, and that might be a good segue into this other point that is tangentially related to this, but it's worth noting that this is Siegel partway through his last period with the in DC, uh, because they're, there's the initial period where he's working with DC, uh, where they, where they, Siegel and Schuster come up with Superman. There's the work that they do. He goes off to war. There's the first lawsuit, and then money troubles, and comes back and does freelance work for DC. And that is 59 through 66. So we are halfway through Siegel's last period with DC because in late 65, late 65 is his last story, and with DC, and then in 66. DC learns that they're gearing up for another lawsuit of, hey, we invented Superman, we we own some of these rights more than you're giving us, and they canned him. Uh, and I think that's pretty 
the last like consequential work that Siegel does, I think. Uh, so it, I don't know. All, all of this is interesting. I think some of it is he does not have. He certainly doesn't have the uh, the institutional influence that he might have if he'd stuck around. Uh, not saying he should have. Just that he he is a work for hire in the most like class based sense of the word. Yeah, there is there is the sad sad story of uh, the interview with Jack Kirby in Marvel: The Untold Story where the writer is interviewing Jack Kirby and he goes, you see that guy over there? And he points to a guy who's doing copy editing and he goes, that guy invented Superman. And then he looks at the, the uh, interviewer and he says, comics, kid, they'll break your heart. Yeah. It's like, we know where he's going to end up and it isn't here. And on that cheer, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm trying to think of a segue and I got nothing. <laughs> time for recommendations unless you have more. Uh, let me just take a look at the list just to make sure, but I think that got everything. Um, oh, this is a minor kind of dumb one, but I, I do like that the, the characters feel smarter. I, smarter is not quite the right word, but more deliberate agents of doing things like Superboy and Ultra Boy, like we talked about like that kind of cat and mouse, uh, each figuring things out about the other person. Uh, there's a point where Saturn Girl uh, tells Superboy to like dig around, and he finds the Phantom Zone projector that brings Monel. And even though like Superman, or Superboy knows, hey, if I bring Monel back, he's gonna die because the lead poison will take effect. But he still does it, and it's just like, why did you, why did you tell me to do that, Saturn Girl? Uh, because now he's gonna die, and she has the pill that lets him do the thing. Uh, but characters are a little more, tr- uh, at least. They don't make a point of the characters being petulant or dumb in the same way, I don't think. That they're they're more class. aware and I think I think it's fair to say that they're smarter. They remember things, they're behaving more like humans would. You know, they, I think you're right. I think they are smarter. Yeah, that about does it for me. Uh what recommendation do you have, John? Um I finished reading the DC Comics Guide to Writing Comics, which is written by oh, Denny nice. O'Neill. Yeah. Um, which is really, really good. I finally got around to finishing it. Um, that is a great primer for comics writing in terms of understanding the basics and understanding that there's no clear and defined way of doing this, but there are things that will help you. I highly recommend it as a starting point if anybody really wants to get into writing comics. Um, it was written in the 2000s, somewhere or other, um, old enough that he talks about the Spider-Man movie being a new occurrence, um, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. Um, so it's not exactly a current book, but it's a good book. You know how it's a good book? Because he says, when, he, when talking about dialogue, he talks about the difference between an, uh, a dialect and an accent. And he calls out anybody who who writes anyone of a foreign country like this and does an old-timey how a Chinese person would be written in comics sentence. He goes, that's racist. He's like, you are inferring that this person is dumb or slow-witted by their poor grasp of the English language. And previous writers of the medium did not have the excuse 
of knowing what you know now. And that is wrong to write that way. You have no excuse. Even in the 2000s, Denny O'Neill was telling you not be racist when you write your comics. Um, That's why we love Denny O'Neill. Rest in peace. Um, But it's a good book. I I recommend it. He also suggests a bunch of other books um, that he was like, these are really good that I like because I think they're good examples of how to actually write fiction. Um, So uh, check it out. It's not that long. It's maybe a couple hundred pages. And they're also, it's a large book because there's comics pages in it that he, like, kind of shows, like, a script versus the finished page side by side. So you can see, like, what's on the panel versus what's in the script. And you can kind of see, like, the extrapolation between writer and artist. I think that's actually kind of helpful. Um, it's very good. I, I definitely recommend it as a, as a starting point, like a 101, so you want to write comics, kid, sort of a book to read. On my end... Uh... I'm I'm gonna double plug. I'm I'm gonna move quickly through both of them, uh, but I, I I have to double plug because uh, I finished I finished the Expanse books literally at one o'clock the uh, night before last. Uh, well worth a read. Uh, I haven't. I, I think I watched the first season of the show, but either way, like read read all the books. They're just really well put together. It is a fully realized world. Uh, they they do a good job of uh, the the two co-writers even though uh, they they author under a single pen name uh, they don't write bad endings they write a believable world it escalates in gloriously entertaining ways uh, the characters are solid and enjoyable and ultimately like there is enough depth to them it's not a ridiculous amount of depth but uh, definitely recommend it go get those burn through them nine books. Uh, the other thing I'm going to recommend, Owl House. Uh, for those who don't know, Owl House is a Disney uh, cartoon. Like in that, it is very much of the uh, Adventure Time and Steven Universe lineage. There is some weird, entertaining body horror stuff, but it is fundamentally <laughs> a cute story about magic. It is you root for characters, uh, both uh, antagonists and protagonists. Highly recommend it. Go watch it. It's a season and a half, and it's a travesty that's only going to be uh, two seasons and like four specials. Very nice. I've I've heard good things about Owl House. Um, I will say since you you have also recommended um, uh, two things, I recently saw Bell, Ooh. the anime film Bell in theaters. Um, the uh, let's see if I pronounce this correct, Studio Chizu. Um, production I saw the subtitled version it is very very good it's a 2021 film um, I think it if, if I'm not mistaken it was at uh, Cannes no it's at Cannes and it received like a standing ovation at Cannes <laughs> shit it is beautiful um, I highly recommend it the music is really great um yeah, let me just make sure I'm not misreading that. Um, yeah, it's got a lot of awards, or it was nominated for, for a number of things. Um, but yeah, please, please go see that. Didn't it, it got, a, got a standing ovation? Can. It can. Festival? Yeah. 17 minutes standing, standing ovation. 17 minutes standing ovation. That's what you do for a second encore. No, that's what you do for a yeah. third encore. 
It's beautiful. It was a beautiful <laughs> movie. Visually, it was very well done. Uh, story was beautifully written. Music was great. Go see that if you can. It's in theaters right now. I don't know if it will be by the time this episode goes up, but uh, if it's purchasable when you get to it, you can. It's B-E-L-L-E. Um, or literally in Japanese, The Dragon and the Freckled Princess. <laughs> nice. I'm not going to even pretend to do uh, the Hepburn pronunciation or whatever that is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking. I'm looking at Wikipedia, and they've got Japanese Hepburn, and then literally, <laughs> I don't know what that means. I've never seen that before. Um, huh? I... Yeah, right. Like I don't. I I would have. Oh, just... it's a uh, style of romanization. Okay, that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Uh, cool. In what day? In what way do you represent things? Like you might do. Uh, I think one of the characters in there. Uh, Ryu uh, is probably Ryu uh, uh, is probably how it is like written out. Ah, or Ryu uh, is probably how it's written out, and it, you could either represent it as like R Y U U or R Y U with a long over it. Uh, yeah. That's my guess, but I don't know for sure. Well, actually, yes. If you know. <laughs> yeah, please. We we would love to learn. Um, it's a good movie. Please go see it if you get the chance. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for us for the end of this episode. We have one more episode of Legion of Superheroes before I think we're all cut up. I think this this episode coming up is going to add between 1963 and 1964. We could get more Legion. We might. I don't know. I don't know if there's more Legion. I'm sure there is. But I, if I say that, there's going to be like five more books to, to read. And then all those <laughs> condemned us to hell. Um, but... Maybe we'll see what we do. We'll see if we do more Legion or more or the Atom, but uh, we'll figure that out when the time comes. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The death of Lightning Lad gave this normally zany series an unexpected gravitas. We had at least one more round of stories in us before we'd shift to another hero. Would the Legion be fleshed out with more characterization as they reacted to his sacrifice? Or would the character stay surface level and frankly pretty interchangeable?